going to go to Galatians chapter number five. Galatians chapter number five. We began teaching on the nine fruit of the spirit. And I told you that the average believer, if you ask them to name the nine gifts of the spirit, most full gospel Christians could do so. But if you ask someone to name the nine fruit of the spirit, then you'd find a struggle on your hand. And we want to look at this because I want you to see that any and everybody should, we might even say must, manifest these fruit in order for our lives to demonstrate healthy qualities. So in Galatians chapter 5, notice verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. So, Father, help us for the next few moments as we teach this lesson. Let it minister to all of our hearts. Let our hearts be good ground. In Jesus' name, amen. Just as a quick review, we told you that if we abide in the vine then whatever's in the vine is in the branches. We told you that the life that's in the vine would be in the branches, that if you take a seed, put it in the ground, the seed develops a root system, the root system develops a trunk, the trunk then produces some branches. On the branches, you have leaves and fruit. We've told you that fruit is nothing more than edible seed, or seed in an edible form, that whatever's in one component is in the other components. The variations are necessary in order for us to have something that we can consume. We then explain to you that one of the reasons that Christians don't manifest the fruits of the spirit is because of this tug of war inside of them with regard to the spirit and the flesh. And when you find people whose lives are emotionally disturbed or unstable, You're dealing with people who are dominated by their senses and by their feelings. That's never been the plan of God. If you look at chapter five and look at verse 17, we can see why some of this happens. The flesh, which is the old nature, the old man who you were before you were Christian, lusteth after or against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to another. So you cannot do the things that you would. So the flesh and the spirit have appetites. The appetites of that old man have to do with everything that you enjoyed and he preferred before you became a Christian. Before you became a Christian, your old nature was not interested in reading the Bible, certainly didn't want to pray was interested in secular things, carnal things, sinful things, anything that would move you away from religion, Christ, or the word of God, or Christians. But the spirit enters into your life when you're born again. You move from sin to righteousness, from darkness to light, because of your faith in what Jesus Christ has done. Conversion comes, and instantly, immediately, your life changes. God implants within you New desires, new principles of desires, old things have passed away, all things become new. Now you have within you what Ephesians and Colossians calls the new man or the new creature. 
And that new man has desires that are wholly centered on the word of God and on godly things. It is not your inward man that's saying, let's go and wrestle. It's not the inward man. That, that, that natural man likes things pertaining to the natural, but the things that pertain to the spirit is what the spiritual aspect of you enjoys. So there's a tug of war taking place and you have things that want to draw you to this side. Then there are things that want to draw you to this side to, to put it in a more practical way. When it's time to go to church and there's a part of you that says, oh, my goodness, I'd rather just sit here and watch the great American family channel. Well, see, that's not the new man. That's the old man enjoying that. And, and when you have another part of you that's saying, oh, my goodness, let's turn the plate down and let's fast and pray for a meal or a day. I can tell you that's not the old man. That's the new man in you that wants to, to do that. When he says in verse 17 that you cannot do the things that you want to do, he's saying that you've got these two desires, these two appetites that are at war with one another, and you cannot do both of them simultaneously. You can't yield to them at the same time. It's impossible for you to walk towards the east and toward the west altogether, or together, I should say. You can't go north and south at the same time. you got to pick a direction. Now, you might be able to go northeast, you might be able to go southwest, but you're not going west and east at the same time. You cannot go to heaven and hell at the same time with every decision. So what you do then is you're told by Paul in chapter 5 that it's through the Spirit of God that we're led. Because those that are led by the Spirit will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So the Spirit of God is not going to do anything that's going to lead me to keep the law, go back up under the law, and it's not going to lead me to do anything that's going to feed the appetites of the flesh because the appetites of the flesh never are satisfied. Never. They're always looking for more, and and the appetites of the flesh are greedy, 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 all-consuming. And we want you to understand, then, that this is one of the reasons people battle these manifestations of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit, because you cannot manifest everything mentioned in 19, 20, and 21 and simultaneously be manifesting What's mentioned in 22 and 23. Yeah. Every test, every trial, every temptation, every occasion gives you an opportunity to allow fruit to manifest or the works of the flesh to manifest. <clears throat> now, in a in an orchard and with any kind of plant and vegetation, you know, you've got to have sunlight and, and that sun's going to produce growth. And that's why leaves and branches and everything else is reaching out towards the sun. Because that's normal, that's natural, that's instinctive. So with all of us, it's the same way. A person is truly born again. There's something inside of you that's reaching upward. There's something inside of you that is inclining itself towards the Lord. That desires to adhere to the teaching of the word of God and to walk with God. Well, at the same time, if you're walking through a vineyard and you're looking at maybe an orchard, I've told you a hundred times that fruit growing on the branches in an orchard is not for the trees. The trees are incapable of consuming their own fruit. 
So that means that when somebody sets up an orange grove and they're all in a straight line and then it's harvest time and you've got the pickers going back and forth with baskets, they're picking the fruit off of the tree branches and they're dropping it in the basket. But the fruit is not for the trees. The fruit is for other people. But the fruit manifests the health of the tree. The fruit tells you whether or not the tree is healthy, whether it's luscious, whether it's beautiful. You're looking at the the deep texture, the richness of the color. All of that is a manifestation of what's flowing up through that tree and coming into that fruit. And if we're connected with Christ and his life is in us, then there should be these kinds of fruit in manifestation. And the more of the life and the light and the love of Christ that's manifested in us, these kinds of fruit will be seen. Now, I don't know about you, but I really do kind of enjoy a good fruit salad. And sometimes my wife will make me a big bowl of one. And I mean, there'll be some cantaloupe, melon and honeydew. And I mean, you know, we can get some pears and stuff cut up, get some apples, apricots, strawberries, whatever else you want to put in there. And I'm a happy camper. And 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 even on a day that's not the best day, fruit can change your complexion or I should say change your countenance and your expression. And this is what happens, I believe, when people who've had a terrible week step into a church that should be manifesting all kinds of fruits of the spirit. And they come in and they they come in feeling heavy sometimes. Then they walk out. They're feeling kind of light footed because they they've been able to pick from the fruit that's in your life. But if you find people that go to church and leave church feeling worse (laughs) than when they came, there's not a whole lot of fruit on the vines there. Certainly not a lot of fruit there on the branches. So you're a branch. I'm a branch. We should be manifesting these fruits so that when other people come in, if they spend a little bit of time from us, with us, they can enjoy what's growing there. See, and, and unlike places in America where certain fruit can only grow in a certain atmosphere, it doesn't matter if you're in Uruguay, Papua New Guinea, Norway or here in North America, this fruit will grow anywhere. If we'll put to death the deeds of the flesh, mortify the deeds of the flesh, crucify our members, bring every thought captive to the best of our ability, being as disciplined as we can, that then removes the dam that keeps the water of life from flowing through us that produce these fruit. So let's look at these again. We told you that love has to do with loving God, loving people. And anybody can love God because you can't see him. But notice here the word joy. The fruit of the spirit is love and joy. So we're talking about happiness. We're talking about a smiling face. Somebody who has enthusiasm. In your Bible, if you can find the book of Hosea, go to Joel, which is right after Hosea, Joel chapter one, and I want to read some verses to you about this. We're talking about joy as a fruit of the spirit. Joel chapter one. Notice verse 10. The field is wasted. The land mourns for the corn is wasted. The new wine is dried up. The oil languisheth. Look at verse 12. The vine is dried up, the fig tree languisheth, the pomegranate tree, the palm tree also, and the apple tree, even the trees of the field are withered. Why? Because joy is withered away from the sons of men. So now you can see then how joy is a fruit. 
Do you realize that most people who have a happy disposition, they don't lose it usually overnight? Usually over a period of time. You find people who, who really are just happy people and, and, and uh, bubbly. And then you come back and you see them two or three years later, then you wonder why they're so somber, so grave. And sometimes they don't smile at all. I can tell you exactly what happened. A series of trials and difficulties and challenges and obstacles and hurdles came into their life. And their reaction to all of those was such that little by little, it caused the joy in their life to die. And you can't always see it immediately, but over time you can. Because if you take an apple and you split it and you put that apple on your counter You stand there for the first 15 seconds. That looks like a luscious apple with a whole lot of juice and everything in it. But you leave it there and you come back the next day. It starts turning brown. Nothing about it that you want. You take a branch, break it, cut it off of your tree, uh, and then you throw it down on the ground, on concrete, on the sidewalk or in your yard. And you can stand there for four or five hours and that thing looks just like it's still connected to the life coming out of that tree. But you come back three or four days later. The leaves are starting to turn brown and it's dying. But when you're standing there looking at it, you don't always see the progression of death that's taking place. And when joy starts withering away in a person's life, you can't always see it when it begins. But over time, you can. So if if we can see this as it's in uh, progress, then maybe if we put things in reverse, We can cause the joy to grow and manifest again, you see, because if 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 you can look at your trials and your circumstances with the understanding that they're not bigger than God and and you can consider that the life of God is going to flow into you because of your divine connection to him, that everything now is a matter of a choice. I can choose to yield to the flesh or I can choose to yield to the new man. And if I yield to the new man, then that life keeps flowing. But if I yield to the flesh, then I basically build a dam brick by brick so that the water of life can't flow into my life and flow through me. And plenty of people allow every trial, every offense, every lie, every bad word spoken into their life. They take it in their minds and receive it and allow it to become the next brick in the dam that's going to close up the power of God from flowing through them. Yeah, this can happen anywhere. Heartland, South, Bible Belt. This can happen in the, the wilderness of Alaska. You can bear fruit anywhere if you want to. So it says here that joy withereth. Now, the next of the fruit of the spirit is peace. So go to Mark chapter four and let's look at something here. Mark chapter four. I want you to understand that these nine fruit of the spirit are very important for our Christian lives. And I would dare say much more important to you and me than the nine gifts. Because you can have nine gifts operating in your life and not have these nine fruit and be able to do supernatural things, preach to crowds of people, but still be mean as a junkyard dog when you step out of the anointing. Yeah. 
Yeah, mean as a junkyard dog. Matthew chapter 4. Oh, excuse me, Mark chapter 4. I had the wrong place. Look at verse 39. See where Jesus arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. The wind ceased and there was a great calm. Well, let's back up to verse 35 and get a, get a broader picture here. The same day, that was the day he was speaking to them in parables and talking to them. When the evening was come, he said to them, let's pass over to the other side. That means let's go over the Sea of Galilee to the other region. And when they'd sent away the multitude, which I'm sure took some time, they took him in the evening as he was in the ship, and there were also with him other little ships. So this just wasn't one ship or a bunch of boats. And there arose a great storm of wind. The waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. He was in the hinder part of the ship, down in the lower part towards the rear, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and said unto him, Master, don't you care that we're dying? And then I read the verse to you. Verse 40, he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? So here the, the Lord says to them, OK, we're going to go over there to this other district. Only way we're going to be able to get there. We've got to go by boat. So he said, let's do it. So everybody gets on the boats. Many of the people went away, but a whole lot of people got on the boats and ships. So you have, I don't know, 50, hundreds. I don't know. A lot of people getting out there. They're still going with Jesus. But but this is a good illustration of how if you're going to walk with Jesus and be with Jesus, you're going to have to go through everything Jesus went through. So Jesus got to go through this storm. So everybody else has to go through this storm. And Jesus said, if you're going to walk with me, don't be surprised that people hate you because they hated me. The storm of hatred that has come to me is going to come to you. Don't be surprised. The storm of persecution and betrayal and treason that has come to me is also going to come to you. But if you make the choice to climb up in the boat and walk with me, then you've got to be willing to deal with everything that I deal with. So sure enough, they climbed up on that boat. They said, this is amazing to be able to hang out with Jesus. Who else gets a chance to do this? I mean, there are a whole lot of disciples and Jesus has done some strong teaching, but not everybody has that kind of access where they can say they're in the boat with them. So, you know, they felt good about themselves. And as you know, they're getting ready, they're slowly making their way over there. Jesus says, look, boys, I'm gonna go take a nap. You folks do what you're going to do. And you, you know how how people are on the on the deck of a ship. They pull out the lounge chair. Kick off their sandals, lay back. There's a little bit of sunshine or whatever. They're just kind of rested, relaxing. Everything is at ease and they're happy. And then all of a sudden they start hearing the, the sounds of wind swirling around them. And the sounds got louder and closer. And, and pretty soon they realize we probably need to get out of our swim trunks and get ready to fight here. Because there's going to be a battle on our hands. Here comes the storm. There's water coming into the boat. They grab their buckets and I mean, they're heaving because, you know, this is what we're going to do. We're going to try to save our life. Nobody wants to die. And you're going to do the same thing anybody else is going to do who thinks they're going to die. You're going to try to live. So they're doing everything they can. But the harder they work, the more that they do, the, the more they also realize this isn't helping. So. In the middle of the storm. Soaking wet, likely cold, somebody gets a bright idea. And they say, you know what? We're up here doing all this. Why don't somebody go tell Jesus what's going on up here? 
And sure enough, they go down there to where he is. And verse 38 says he's asleep on a pillow. That means that everything that was going up on the taking place up on the top deck, he wasn't even aware of it. Yeah, he wasn't even aware of it. So if he wasn't aware of it, he wasn't worried. You understand? So worry was not a part of his disposition. It was not in the room with him until they came in. The storm that was raging on the outside, there was also raging waters on the outside. But on the inside of all the disciples, there was raging fear. And they were terrified. I mean, somehow the storm got inside of them. And then they brought that into the room where Jesus was. And when they brought it in where the king was, when he woke up, he did not react and respond by receiving their fear and getting as fearful as them. They woke him up and they said, Master, we're dying. And then they even brought an allegation against them. You don't even care. <laughs> I mean, goodness. All us up here doing all this yelling and screaming. You don't hear us. And Jesus just kind of woke up and didn't even bother addressing them. Just went on up, up there, saw that storm, rebuked it, spoke a word, said, peace. Everything kind of calmed down. Then he looked at them and said, why in the world are you so fearful? See, that's, that's the amazing thing to me, that people who are nervous and fretting and overly concerned and worrying, they have the, the audacity to be offended with you because you haven't entered into the storm in the way they've entered into it. But what we should do is do what Jesus did, and that is exhibit peace. This was not some kind of divine gift of peace that suddenly manifested. He had it when he was on the shore. He had it when he entered the boat. He had it when he went to sleep. And he has it now when he's standing up talking to the storm. And this is what we need to grow in our lives. Peace. There are a lot of people who don't have peace. You say, who wouldn't have peace? Peace. A, a kid that doesn't want to go to sleep in the dark. They don't have any peace in the darkness. Yeah. Somebody who's so terrified of spiders, snakes. There's no peace there. What about people that, that are afraid of wide open spaces? I think they call that agoraphobia. You get out there in the midst of a big field and you can look in all these different directions. Sometimes you all of a sudden start feeling like you're falling. Some people get nervous. What about people that are claustrophobic? Put them in a closet or an elevator. They get nervous, are hyperventilating, barely can breathe. People afraid of heights. Yeah. That'll rob you of your peace. One time we had to do some repelling. In the military. Now, repelling is when they take you way up, 100 feet, sometimes more, and then they tie a rope kind of around you, and then they bring you to the edge because it's a, it's a big, tall, flat face object, and you've got to stand there with a rope around you and lean back like this, and then you're supposed to kick out, and then once you kick out, you drop about maybe 10, 15 feet, then your feet come back on that, that, that solid object, and then you're to kick out again. They show you how to release with your hands and how to guide with your hand behind you, and you just leap all the way down from the top to the bottom. Well, I, I never cared much for heights 
when they were doing this training. And so I got up there to the top. And and of course, when I stood there over the edge, I did everything I could not to look down. You know, they're yelling and screaming, saying, turn around and get going. And of course, you know, I look down and then my legs, they turn to water and you're doing that there. So I'm looking out again. They said, now recruit sudden. I said, turn around. Well, I didn't have any peace. So I did turn around and I had my arm behind me, had that rope and I kicked out. And you got to understand, because I didn't have any peace when I was up there, they were giving the instructions. I didn't pay attention to anything they said. So when I kicked out, I went out and straight down, burned my hands, was screaming when I hit the bottom. I dropped so far. And I mean, I'm running around and I'm looking for water and I'm yelling. And finally, when they settled me down, you know what they said to me? Get right back up there and do it the right way. I'm telling you, my hands were bleeding and everything else. But when I got back up there the next time, you know what I did? Actually, listen to what they were saying. And because I heard what they were saying, it restored my peace. I didn't mind kicking out this time and doing it the right way. See, if if we're not going to listen to the words of Jesus when he said, let's pass over to the other side, then you're going to always allow the storm to come between what God has said to you and what you're feeling and experiencing at that moment. And it doesn't matter what comes up against you. You are to remain steadfast, unmovable, always abounding because of God's word. Don't ever change. The manifestation of peace in your life. It'll grow. It'll develop as we meditate on the word of God, because the word gives us peace. What does the Bible say in Isaiah? Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. So if I keep my mind filled with the word. Then there's a peace that will constantly be resident in my life and I can manifest peace in the most difficult times. If you think you're facing a cross, you ought to do like Jesus did. <clears throat> do like Jesus did. Meditate on scripture while on that cross. Yeah. If, if you're walking through a valley of the shadow of death and it's a difficult time, get your mind back on the word of God. That's the only thing that's going to settle you, keep you calm and keep you filled with peace. If you surround yourself with a bunch of people who don't know anything about the king, then what's in them can get into you. Yeah. Now, now you think about this. Typically, if we go to the hospital and we end up admitted, it's not a bad, it's not a good situation. And and this is why most clinics, doctors' offices and hospitals, when they see the citizens, they usually catch people on their bad day when they're their grumpiest because they're in pain. People don't go to the hospital when they're feeling good. They go to the hospital when they're feeling bad. And and so when when you get into the hospital until they can kind of get you settled and everything, if you're laying there in the bed and, and you're kind of short and, and terse and, and grumpy because you're not feeling good, what kind of people do you want around you? Do you want people around you that are joyful and people that are at peace? Or do you want 10 other grumpy people around you that are grumpier than you are? Because if you're if you're in the hospital bed and you're not feeling good and, and, and the nurse says something to you like, well, well, how do you feel, Mr. Johnson? Well, I don't feel good. I mean, I'm, I'm in the hospital. 
And then everybody else starts yelling and screaming at you. Well, we all know you're in a hospital, you old coot. Is that going to make you feel good in the hospital? No. What you need are some people around you that have the peace of God in you, that can lay hands on you and pray for you, that can sing the songs of Zion and create an atmosphere that will keep you from fretting and worrying, but getting your mind back on God. And that kind of peace will push away storms of worry, storms of fear. And this is what we learn. See, this is what we learn. Well, let's 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 look at something else then. come back over here to Galatians. Let's look at another of these fruit. Galatians five, look at verse 22. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering. Another way is to say one can suffer long periods of time, can suffer long with unpleasant people, can suffer long with adversity. Had you ever thought about that being a fruit? That that has to grow? Yeah. Because <clears throat> if it doesn't rain and a farmer is not happy that it's not raining, he can get frustrated and, 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 and he can get as angry as he want to be, but that's not going to change the situation make it rain. And you can go down to the local coffee shop and sit with a bunch of other men and, and be angry, complain and murmur about it, but that's not going to make it rain. Now we can pray. And we can ask God and believe God for it to rain. But whether it starts raining immediately or raining the next day, you still have to wait until God moves. So this long suffering more than anything else is really about how you're going to respond and react to challenges and to adversity. What, what kind of people get on your last nerve? Because the devil always knows when you have a last nerve. And and when people say, well, look, that is the last straw. That might be the last straw for today, but the devil will make sure there is another straw tomorrow. And and over and over again, he'll create all of this tension and controversy in your life. But if we've been feeding on the word, abiding in Christ, waiting in his presence, then this fruit is now ready to manifest because where you're ready to give somebody two, their two cents, your two cents or a piece of your mind. Now you can practice long suffering. There have been plenty of times I wanted to tell somebody what I was thinking and I didn't. Yes. And I'm sure it's the same for you, too. You can sit there and smile at me, but I'm sure I'm sure it's the same for you, too. If you've ever had employers that were unpleasant, fellow employees that were unpleasant, if you were ever unhappy with something that your adult child said to you that was unpleasant or something your parent or grandparents said to you that just it just kind of rubbed you the wrong way because the way they said it, you just thought they were really trying to stick something in you to irritate you, you know you've got to be long-suffering. Yeah. I had a, uh, one of the guys in, in another church was telling me he had to go visit his in-laws and their side of the family. So I said, well, what, what, what all does that mean? You know, I mean, because you're not saying that with a smile on your face. And, and I said, well, what do you do when, when you're there? He said, oh, he said, I, I usually go and look for some coffee shops. And he said, I'll go to the coffee shop at nine o'clock in the morning 
and just stayed till 530 or so in the evening. I said, well, OK, that, that's that's pretty good. How long are you guys going to be gone on this trip? He said two weeks. I said, it's going to be a lot of coffee drinking. A lot of coffee drinking to stay away from your family. Now, now here's the thing. Now, going to the coffee shop for him where he is in his walk with God probably is good. Because that's a whole lot better than just staying home fighting with people making bad memories. You see? Yeah, it's a whole lot better than just fighting with people. If, if there's some, well, I don't understand why he doesn't stay around. I don't understand why he's gone. That's a whole lot better than him just engaging people and just fighting with folks. Yeah, can be at the coffee shop. So long suffering then is is something you grow in. Now me, if if I have to go visit uh, my wife's illustrious side of the family, and she has to come visit my wonderful people in my family. Then I, I, I quickly had to learn how to make this work because early on in our marriage, I did not always get along with people in her side of the family. But, but I knew as a minister that this isn't godly. And this just doesn't look good as far as the character of a, of a minister. So we've got to somehow be able to get over this. And, and I had to pray and ask God to give me some wisdom. And God showed me, he said, look, now you're, you're only going to be there five days, nine days for whatever period of time you're going to be there. It's only a short period of time. And then you get to come back home, put a muzzle on your mouth. See, learn to do that. And, and when you hear conversations in another room and you, you're ready to just go in there and engage or you're in the room and you hear conversations and you're ready to jump up and engage. Sometimes it's just better not to say anything at all. Because when you're long suffering, you're not bothering anybody. You're not hurting anybody. You are helping yourself. You are helping yourself. And the devil, the reason he's using unbelievers very often is because he wants there to be an explosion in your personality so that your flesh, your emotions dominate your life. And that's how many Christians who really do love God, they live dominated by their emotions. I told you last week that the word disturb means something thrown into disarray or disorder. So a person who's emotionally disturbed or emotionally disordered is a very moody person. And you've got to walk around on eggshells just to keep them from getting angry or upset. Oh, no, that is not the way to live around Christians. I'm not going to walk on no eggshells just to keep you from blowing up. If you blow up, I'm going to tell you that is not the character of God. And if I were to do that, you should tell me that. One time right here in this town, after we'd been going as a church, I don't think maybe nine months, I made a phone call. <clears throat> and I, No, maybe a little bit longer because we had the apartment there, so it had to have been at least two years. I made a phone call to, to the local restaurant, and I wanted to order some to-go food. Now, I've done it I don't know how many times. So I called the restaurant. Lady picks the phone up, and I said, hey, Daryl Sutton want to make a to-go order. Oh, she said, we don't do to-go orders. So I, I know you do to-go orders because I've done to-go orders. I don't know how many times right here in this town. She hung the phone up. Oh, my goodness. 
I left the apartment, got in the car, drove to the restaurant, restaurant full of people. I walked into that restaurant, found that lady. I said, I just called you, hung the phone up on me. And before you know it, she's raised her voice. I've raised my voice. Everybody stopped eating. We're yelling at each other. But she took my order. I stepped out of that restaurant, got in the car to wait for the food to get ready and stuff like that. I'm telling you, the moment I turned and walked away, stepped out of that restaurant, just like when David cut Saul's skirt, my heart smoked me. I felt like a heel. So I went back in there and apologized to everybody in the restaurant, apologized to that lady. And you know that lady became one of my closest friends when I go in that restaurant, just because I took the time to apologize. But you know what I learned out of that? It's a whole lot better to be long-suffering and a whole lot easier to put a muzzle on that mouth and humble yourself that way than to have to turn around later and go back and be humiliated. You understand? Yeah, it's, it's a hard lesson to learn, but it's a good, good lesson to learn. If, if you're going to blow up, blow up for something more than a fried chicken dinner. Somebody's bothering your kids, you know. Somebody's bothering your spouse or, or something like that. But but that old nature is like a volcano ready to erupt at all times. And just like that, you can go from zero to a hundred with wrath. If somebody pushes the, the wrong button, and some of you know it because somebody probably pushed that button today for you. Yeah. But the, the good thing is the Bible talks about the fruit of the spirit. And Jesus was long-suffering, and we can be too. The final thing I'd say about this long-suffering is this. When you read the Gospels, sometimes you might chuckle when you think of some of the things the disciples said and did. Jesus wanted to cut through Samaria to make his trip shorter. Samaritan said no. James and John said, we can call down fire and kill every one of them right now. I mean, they, they thought they could do that. They honestly believe they could do that. They're thinking about Elijah. They, uh, we can call right now. We can kill them all, Jesus. Jesus said, you don't even know what spirit you're of. Don't do that. Peter, he, he's talking to Jesus and listening to him. Jesus said, look, some of you folks are going to turn away from me. The shepherd's going to be smitten. Sheep going to be scattered. Peter looked at all them other people and said, Lord, some of these scallywags, I can see them running. But me, I'm with you till the end. You better believe it. Yeah. And, and, and on another occasion, of course, let's not forget, one of the disciples had listened to him teach for a long time. Heard hundreds of teaching, hundreds of messages, seen miracles, untold numbers of miracles. And then he looked and he said, well, Lord, how in the world can we know the way? You can sit right there in service and not pay attention to anything that's been taught. And then one of his own disciples turned around and betrayed him, having kissed him on the cheek. Now, if, if Jesus could pastor people as crazy as that and keep his sanity and still love them, how can we not be long-suffering to other people too? Yeah. Yeah, think, think of the, the small things that people do that separate relationships. You'd laugh if I told you about through the years some of the reasons I've heard that people stop going 
to a church. You chuckle. It just don't have anything to do with reality, maturity, the word of God. Just crazy things. People are easily offended. They become moody, these kinds of things. But the fruit of the spirit is something that will cause all of us to become mature. Yeah. What's the law in Genesis? It says that everything reproduces after its own kind. All of us in here are product product of seed. You look like your mom and pops. Yeah, seed, eggs, all of that. Apple seeds going to produce apples. Pears going to produce pears. Same thing with tomatoes. You're never going to get three or four different kinds of fruit out of one particular seed. But this is what makes this incorruptible seed of Christ so amazing. You implant that in a believer's life. And then from that, that one seed in a believer's life, you get nine different fruit. That can manifest every day, every week, in whatever season your life is passing through. So don't don't let everybody disturb you by what they say and what they do. But believe God that the fruit of the Spirit be manifested in your life. Amen? Amen. So important. And and I think if, if we do this, We'll find that our Christian walk will be a lot more exciting because this this really is much more supernatural than you realize. It takes the power of God for you not to speak what you're ready to say. It does. It it, it takes God's power to harness your emotions and, and the same power that can cause a man or woman to come up out of a wheelchair is the same power that can bring somebody up out of sin. It's the same power that can help you to forgive. That's what Jesus said. He said, what's easier for me to do? Tell this man to get up off this cot or to say sins are forgiven. Well, they didn't have an answer, but you have an answer. Yeah, that same power can cause us to forgive. Next time we'll dig into gentleness. And we, we may find out that means, you know, a, a kindness that's a little bit different than what we typically exhibit. And and again, when, when visitors come here to church or you visit another fellowship, you should walk into that place expecting to find the fruit of the spirit. I want to see happy people. Yeah. Tiffany and I laughed last week when we were pulling up uh, at the conference in the evening time. Pull up in that parking lot. There are hundreds of cars coming up there, and there are all these Bible college students out there. And I'm telling you, every one of them kids out there are waving and giving us directions with the biggest smile on their face. Happy. Say, so who's happy to be standing out here in 50 degree weather, waving at all these? I mean, they looked excited about being there. And then, lo and behold, we looked, and there's a little girl from Red Cloud standing out there directing traffic to. I said, oh, my goodness. But joy is what is captivating, you see. And and, and may the Lord help all of us to to be that way, too. Let's stand. Yeah. I want us to be mature. And I want us to understand the things of God. Because as a conduit of what God wants to have manifested in this earth, I really believe in a vessel where there's the fruit of the Spirit, be much more easier for God to do all these other things that he wants to do in a divine way. See, I think we'll be better witness if we had fruit of the spirit. Don't you think so? Yeah. 
We don't want our, our fruits withering on the vine and the harvest to be wasted and the corn to be gone. We want the manifestation of this fruit in our life. So Heavenly Father, right now in, in all of our lives, God, you have ordained that we would bear much fruit, as it says in the Gospel of John. So God, when you look down on us right now, what do you see? What do you see in our hearts, our minds, in our lives? I pray, God, each one of us would be fruit-bearing Christians, that we would bear the fruit that would be visible to other people, and that people would see that our lives are healthy and strong because we abide in the vine. And God, I pray that when people partake of the fruit that we're producing, that their lives will be changed. God, let each one of these folks walk with you in such a way that they're a carrier of your glory. Let their county and the surrounding districts and all of our homes be forever changed. Forever changed. These things, oh God, we do pray and praise you for. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. That's what we